Hello, and thank you for listening to this message from Pastor Gary Ellard here at Grace Bible Fellowship in Front Royal, Virginia. As we close out 2019, Pastor Gary Ellard addresses the questions many of us have as we look to the new year, including how can we trust that God loves us and offers us his perfect grace, peace, and righteousness? All right, so this morning I want to speak to you about In God We Trust. We're kind of reminded of that every time we reach in our wallet, but do we really trust God? That's the question that I have for all of us. Do we really trust him? We are about to enter 2020. Millions of people will make New Year's resolutions. They will have great expectations that things are going to change in their life. And it's sort of like the, the gym I attend in the little town of Springfield. They, uh, every year in January... Uh, everybody renews their membership. And then come February, you hardly ever see them anymore. They have good intentions, though. They want to change. And I think we're all like that. Most of us want to change. There's some parts about us we don't like. And so we just like to sort of get a little change, get a new direction. And with that comes the reflection of the past year. And here's where sometimes the problems come. Maybe it's the way we are thinking about ourselves. We will say, well, have I really been a good husband this year? Have I been a good wife? Have I been a good father? Have I been a good mother? Have I been good to my neighbor? Have I been a good neighbor? And uh, maybe have I been a good boss or a good employee? Uh, and, and the list just goes on and on. The question we face is, what do we do with all sorts of difficulties in our life, especially with guilt? What do we do about loneliness? I can't tell you how many people that have asked me, aren't you lonely out there by yourself on that farm? What do we do about loneliness? And uh, what do we do about life in general? You know, sometimes the reality is that every one of us hurt. I mean, it, we just can't get by it. And whether it's physical illness or whether it's abuse, whether it's a job loss or whether it's the absentee parent, whether it's poverty or whether it's imprisonment. Every year in December, our local newspaper puts out, uh, it's, it's a bigger edition than we have all year long. And it's about six or eight pages of the reporters going out and interviewing children in the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth grade. And they, there's questions about about Christmas and about Santa Claus. Like, how does Santa Claus come down the chimney? And one little girl, she wrote down, she said, I think he comes through the laundry room because we don't have a chimney. Another little boy, he said that, 
I think he comes through the front door because we don't have a chimney. And then, uh, and, but what really struck me was they asked, what do you really want for Christmas? What is the one thing that you want more than anything else for Christmas? Now, being in West Virginia, a lot of little boys, they put down, they wanted a, gu a gun or a bone arrow. But what really struck me was this little fella, he said that all he wanted for Christmas was his dad to get out of jail. He says, because I really miss him. And I thought, what a sad thing that was. There's a few, there's a fear, I should say, there's a fear of the unknown future. And we all have it. Pain hits all of us one way or the other. This past year, we have looked at God's amazing grace. And what a wonderful experience it's been to go step by step to find out what an awesome and wonderful God that we have. We have discovered that we can live careful and carefree because we believe that God our Father loves us even on our worst day. How wonderful it would be if the world would know that the basis of our relationship with God isn't how little we sin, but it's how much we allow God to love us. I wondered many times what it would be like if everyone knew that having a relationship with God is to allow God to live his life in us and through us. I looked at my notes and a year ago and I introduced a scripture here that I don't know how often it's been used, but I've used it quite a bit through this year. And I thought I would close this, uh, this sermon, my last sermon of the year, with the same scripture. It's a scripture that I've learned to love and appreciate. It's found in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. You see, a lot of people, they've accepted Christ as their personal Savior, but they don't actually know what took place and what happened when they did. It was like Nicodemus in the Bible when he heard, you must be born again. And he said, how can that happen? How can that be? Must I go back into my mother's womb? How can I be born again? And we hear a lot of Christians about being born again, being born again. And what does it really mean? Here's what it means. Ezekiel had a prophecy that he wrote down in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36. It says, there will come a day, there's going to come a time where I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Now you notice the spirit is lowercase. So it means a new human spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So this is what happens when an individual is born again. He may not understand it at the time. You are given 
a new human heart. Now, what, what does that mean, you're given a new human heart? Well, the Bible says that we are all born of Adam. We, because of Adam's sin, we are born sinners. We sin before we ever know what sin is all about. And, and so God says to us that when you say yes to him, now, this, there's a mystery of godliness. The Bible tells us there's a mystery of godliness, there's a mystery of iniquity. There's just a mystery to all of this. But the Bible says when, when the Lord knocked on your heart, and you said yes, you experienced being born again, but what you didn't realize of what actually took place. You received a new human heart. He took out that heart of stone and gave you a new heart. And then he filled you with the Holy Spirit. And then it says here that I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now, notice that you have absolutely nothing to do with this. God is not asking for your help. God is asking for your heart. And God is saying that I will put my spirit in you and I will move upon you. I will cause you. You will want to do what is right. You won't be happy when you do things that are wrong. You just won't be. You can do it. We all do it but you won't be happy doing it. The moment that you come to realize that only God can make a person holy, you can't make yourself holy. People have tried it all over the world. They've gone into monasteries. They've gone, they've gone through. They've tried to make themselves holy. And you can't do it. Nobody has accomplished it. And when you realize that, you are left with only one option, and that is to find God, to know God, and to let God be God in you and through you. It's called the exchange life in Christ. You exchange your life for the life that he's willing to give you. If we see God through a veil of shame, or if we see God through a veil of judgment, we'll think in our minds that our goal is to fix our behavior. And the moment you try to fix your behavior, you're on a losing streak. You'll never be able to do it. God doesn't see you as, wanting, as trying to fix your behavior. He wants you to see him fixing your behavior because you can't do it. We're free to trust in God, especially his love, in the midst of our erotic, maturing behavior. That is why he tries to assure us. When you come to him, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You're born again, you can't get unreborn. You're born again, I'll be with you all the way to the end. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So being born again 
is when you said yes to Jesus Christ. Years ago, when I was living in Vienna, Virginia, I would go down to the bike trail, and that's where I would do my jogging. I would uh, run there, and I would get ready for a marathon. And on the weekend, I wore a T-shirt, and it had a big worm on the front. It was a caterpillar. And on the back of the T-shirt, it had a beautiful butterfly. And so when I was running down, people would look at me, and they'd see that that worm, and then when I was coming back, they would see that butterfly, and I heard some Christians say, oh, I got it, being born again, being born again, I got it. And that's exactly what it happens. A caterpillar goes through a metamorphosis, and he becomes a butterfly. As all that caterpillar can do when he's a caterpillar is crawl. But once he becomes a butterfly, he can fly. Now, he can still, he can choose to crawl, but he knows he's a butterfly, and so he flies. And that's the way we are when we understand the grace of God. When we understand how much God loves us, when we understand that we have been born again, we cannot get unreborn. It's with us It'll always be there for life. We can run away from it. We can try, but never, never make it. Now, if we brought a caterpillar to a biologist and asked him or her to analyze, to analyze a caterpillar and tell us, you know, what it's, describe it, it's DNA, DNA, he would tell us that this looks like a caterpillar to you. But scientifically, according to every test, including the DNA, this is fully and completely a butterfly. When you said yes to Christ, you were born again, and God has given you a new DNA of righteousness. It is Within you, it is your nature to want to do the right thing. You're uncomfortable when you do the wrong. It just doesn't fit you anymore. You can do it, but it doesn't fit. Fifty-six times in the New Testament, the Bible refers to a believer as a saint. Fifty-six times. Now, there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves more righteous. We can act righteous, but that doesn't mean that we're, we're righteous. We're acting. We are in Christ, the Bible says. Every one of us here are in Christ. And we have a new DNA. Now, it's also important to understand that there is an enemy who accuses us day and night. Now, Satan is the one that does this. He looks at your mistakes, your track record when you fail, and he pours on the guilt. The Bible says there is therefore no condemnation to them in Christ Jesus, but yet the devil tries to condemn us. And this is what he does. He says to you, 
and you call yourself a Christian. Look what's going through your mind right now. You call your, uh, yourself a Christian, look at the way you treated that neighbor. You call yourself a Christian, and look, you can't hardly love people? What's wrong with you anyway? And so the devil tries to get you convinced that there is something wrong with you. And he's been very successful at that. In Revelation, the Bible says here in Revelation 12, 10, then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brethren and sisters who accused them before our God day and night has been hurtled down. The Bible says that there was war in heaven and Satan was cast down to this earth. And the Bible says that he is the accuser of the brethren. He cannot do anything to you. He can only harass you and get you to doubt who you are. That's all he can do. And he does a masterful job. I mean, he, he just constantly accuses us that we are not living up to who we are supposed to be. Satan wants you to stew in your failure. But how we respond is the real issue. This is where the understanding of God's grace comes into play. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, the Bible says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, sometimes we read the Bible, we read that text, and we just, we don't even stop to think of what it's really saying. But what it is saying is that God the Father made him, Jesus Christ, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin. The sins of the world was placed on Jesus Christ when he hung on the cross. His blood paid the penalty for all sin. Now, when I first came here, I made a statement that maybe some of you wondered about. And that was that no one will be lost because of sin. It's going to be because of unbelief. It's not going to be because of sin. When Christ died on the cross, he died for the sins of the world. Now, in Hebrews 10, the Bible says this. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Now, when I first became a Christian, it was my understanding that at the end of time, at the judgment, that everyone would be facing the judgment. And all of a sudden, and I, I don't know if I thought a big screen or whatever it was, all my sins would be coming up there. And what a relief when I found out that that was not true at all. But there are millions of Christians who feel that way that they have to appear before the judgment bar of God and give an account for what they have done, give an account of their sins. And yet the Bible says, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Now, 
In Ephesians, Ephesians 2.10, the Bible says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So do you see it? We were recreated by Jesus Christ. He gave us the new heart. He gave us the new human spirit. And he gave us the Holy Spirit. We are recreated. And now we are his workmanship. That new heart, that new spirit given to us. It was a gift. You know, the Bible is it's a beautiful book because it tells us that eternal life is a gift. It tells us that our righteousness is a gift. It tells us our victory in this world is a gift. Everything is a gift. And that's why a lot of times people say, what you teach and what you preach is too good to be true. And it is. It is too good to be true. But it's true. Now, in Colossians 1, 1, 22, the Bible says, Yet he has now reconciled you to his fleshly body through death. Jesus Christ has now reconciled you through the fleshly body through death in order to present you before the Heavenly Father holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Wow. That's amazing that, that Jesus Christ presents us blameless and beyond reproach. So my question to you is when you fail, do you forgive yourself just as God forgives you? Or do you buy into the accusation adopted by Satan, Satan's view of you, you see, what Satan does, he, he just accuses you. He says, because of the way you act, because of what you do, there's something wrong with you. And God is saying, there's nothing wrong with you. I present you before the Father as blameless, beyond reproach. And so the Bible says that in Romans 8, 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is there no condemnation? Because our sins and lawless deeds he remembers no more. Sometimes we act in a way that is contrary to our identity. I get upset at myself when I do that, but I do it. But that doesn't mean that you're not still a child of God. It is when, it's when this world comes at us. Sometimes it throws us for a loop. And sometimes we don't know how to react. And sometimes this world just seems to be so unfair. This world is not fair, but God is always there. He lives in you. 
He lives in you with the, through the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. He causes you to want to do what is right. He is the mystery of godliness. This whole concept of Christ living in you is a mystery. Now, we will learn that there is a healthy regret of sin. And God is concerned about our behavior. But when it comes to guilt and shame that we take on, we need to stop beating ourselves up for our failures. But why do we do that? I mean, it's one thing to say it. You need to quit beating yourself up. But why do we do that? It is because of our flesh. Well, what is our flesh? It's the way that we operate. I mean, it's the worldly way of operating. It's the old way of thinking, the old way of acting before you were born of God. It's that old way. To walk after the flesh is simply living a lifestyle does not that does not rely upon God as a source. Flesh is depending on what you can do. And those of us who thought we could do it, we found out that we couldn't. We found out it just doesn't work. Now, most of us have some regrets, and I certainly have my share. When I became a minister, I was in love with the ministry. I was in love with the ministry more than I was in love with Jesus Christ. I depended more on the ministry than I did my own family. And the life of frustration and pain that comes with it is not worth it. We all know that. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. It's hard. And it's not worth it. It took me years to understand the twofold gift of salvation. Freedom from the penalty of sin. And freedom from the power of sin. Now, many Christians know. I mean, you can go church after church here. And you'll find people who understand what took place at the cross. When Jesus Christ died on the cross... He died for the sins of the world. And if you accept him as your savior, he cleanses you and forgives you. And he forgives you forever so that you'll never have to face the judgment bar of God. So there's a lot of Christians who believe that. A lot of them refer to it as once saved, always saved. When I became a Christian, I did not buy into that. I did not believe that. Because I was under the impression that I had something to do with it. I had to follow the rules. I had to follow the regulations. And so I didn't understand that part of it. Freedom from the penalty of sin. Many of Christians, many Christians who believe in once saved, always saved, or believe in the eternal security, which I believe in. Many of them who believe that Yet they believe that victory in this life depends upon their own effort. You know, it's this concept of if, if you do your part, God does his part. No, that's not true. 
God does it all. God does it all. He changes you from within. He's not asking you to change your life. He's asking you to allow him to change your life. In the book, The Hurt and the Healer, it's co-authored. I know one of the authors personally, and, and he compares this process of victory over sin like a computer. And uh, he says, you buy a new computer, but the software that runs on it is not always new. And so you are soon confronted with the option of downloading an update. Now, I was always afraid to download an update because I didn't understand the computer. And so I never downloaded the update. And then I had to have a lot of trouble. And then uh, either Matt or Dan or one of my boys would come to me and, and said, oh, look what you got on your computer. You got to get rid of all this stuff. And then look at all the updates that you haven't put in. Okay. And so they compare that. And uh, we have an option of either downloading it or declining it. And I always declined it. Well, at Salvation we get a brand new spiritual hardware. This new heart, this new spirit, the Holy Spirit that is living within us. But then there are updates. And that's what the Bible calls in Romans 12 too. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the renewing of our mind. It's those software updates. Now, we have to keep in mind that the flesh is not our spiritual hardware. It's more like the old software, but it's not you at your core. The old programming pulls at us to do things the old way, rather than getting the update thinking that what we really desire is what God desires for us. In Galatians 5.17, the Bible says this, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit. So what is the flesh? It's our old way of working out our life. It's the old worldly way. You know, it's if you work hard, then you're going to have a, a certain end result. For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. I want to mention here, when you're a born-again Christian, you want to do, you want to do what you please. You please to follow your desires become like God's desires. So there is a war that's going on between your flesh and your spirit. It's not you. It's your flesh and your spirit. And you know, it's interesting that Paul 
in Romans 7 describes it so perfectly. He says this, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very things I hate. Have you ever gone through that? I certainly have. And then the Bible says, in verse 20 it says, But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now, the bad news is, we're going to have this flesh all every day of our life. The good news is that sin dwells within the flesh, not at your deepest core, but in your flesh. And the Bible says that when Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to give us a new body because that's where sin dwells. It's in our body. He's going to give us a new body to match that already perfect heart that every one of us have at our deepest core. At our deepest core, we want to do the right thing. Our desires become closer and closer and closer to God's desires because he is changing us from within. And that is the beautiful part about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've heard me explain uh, the process that I went through when I became a Christian. I could not understand the fairness of God. Uh, when I became a Christian, here I was, I was fighting a battle inside of my mind. trying to find peace, and I couldn't find any peace. Not knowing where I belonged or how to face life. I remember uh, I had been drinking one night and my car flipped over in a ditch and I could only see the sky and I looked up the sky and I said, God, if you're there, I don't know if you're there. I didn't know whether I could believe in him or not. I said, but if you're there, I know I need help. And so I called my father, a fellow stopped by, and he got me out of the car and took me down to a phone booth, and I called my father, and he came out. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, Gary, he said, you can't adjust to this life. Go back into the Marine Corps. He says, there's something wrong with you. He says, you're better off going back into the Marine Corps. And then he said... Well, he said, at least go to a church or do something. And so 23 days later, I accepted Christ as my Savior, an evangelistic meeting in the state of Washington. I did not understand it. I couldn't understand why I was born a sinner. And then why I sinned before I even understood what sin was. It just didn't seem fair. Here I had a propensity. It was easier for me to sin than it was to do the right thing. I had a leaning towards sin, and I inherited it from Adam. And I thought it wasn't fair. 
But then I, I heard the gospel. And I heard that one man got me into this mess, and that was Adam. And then I heard one man, a God-man, would get me out, and that was Jesus Christ. He answered the question about the penalty of sin. The Bible says this in Hebrews 9, 22. Without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. In the Old Testament, it was the blood of bulls and goats. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb, was slain for our sins. And so he died for all of our sins. He shed his blood. And the sin issue was over. No one would be lost because of sin. It would only be because of unbelief. In Hebrews 10, 17, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. That's why when an individual comes to Christ, God cleans house. He forgives him for all of his sins, but he forgives him for all the sins of the future because Christ will not come back and shed his blood again. He did it once for all, once for all. Jesus Christ died that we might have life. He answered the question of no punishment. When we accept that blood offering that Christ made on the cross, we will not appear before the judgment bar of God. We pass through the judgment. There is no punishment. In 2 Corinthians 5.19 some people say, well, what about I accept Christ and I still sin? 2 Corinthians 5, 19, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, not counting their sins against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we're covered. What a wonderful God we have. We're all covered. We sin and it's already taken care of. And then freedom from the power of sin. The Bible says that we are a new creation. And we are not the source of the struggle that we have with sin. God tells us that we are to walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. In Galatians 5, 16, the Bible says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. How do we do that? Well, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We just listen to the Spirit, and we will walk by it. Our goal in 2020 is to walk by the Spirit. What does that mean to you? Walking by the Spirit. It means, really, you can be you. You can be you. That's all God wants is you. He loves you just the way you are. He's not asking you to change. If there's any change, he'll make the change. It's just being you. Because there's nobody like you in this world. There's nobody else like you.
You are unique. You're the only one like you. And God has chosen to knock on the door of your heart. And when you responded, he asked you simply walk by the Spirit. And then in Romans 8, 16, it says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, how does that work? The Spirit in you testifies to you that you are a child of God. How do I know? How do, how do I tell that? Well, your desires are becoming more and more like God's desires. That's how you tell it. You know your heart. And you know, you know exactly who you are. God wants you to understand who you are. You are his child. So I wanted to encourage each one of us to wake up every day in 2020 and simply believe God's great love for us. And the more that you understand it, the more that you live it. And this year is my goal as your pastor is to demonstrate and show you how much God really does love you. I mean, you're awesome to him. The Bible says that when you give your life to Christ, the Bible says you are a gift from the Father to the Son. You are a gift to him. That's how precious you are. That's why the Bible says that he loves us just like he loves the Father loves us just like he loved his son, Jesus Christ. No difference. The same love. And Jesus said when he walked upon the face of this earth, he says, I can do nothing on my own. I can't do anything on my own. It's only God, the Father, living through me and in me. And we come to that realization ourselves. There's nothing we can do. It's only Christ living in us and through us that makes the difference in this world. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that it's not complicated as some of us thought it would be. And I pray, Father, that as you meet the needs that each one of us have, that you'll demonstrate to us in a very personal way how much you love us how much you care for us and how willing you are to have your son, Jesus Christ, live his life through us through the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you and I praise you for being such an awesome God. Bless us now, I pray, for we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Grace Bible Fellowship in Front Royal, Virginia. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.gracebiblefellowshipchurch.org.